back. And nice to see you too. You're here, eh? Good. Uh, we're going to sing. And I'm going to ask you to think about a verse in the psalm we're going to sing. It's from the Scottish Psalter. And it's Psalm 145. And the verse I wish you to concentrate on is, I think it's verse 8, verse 7, is it? I'll find it just now. First verse. In verse 7 it is. This is what we're supposed to be doing. With the memory of thy goodness great, they largely shall express. With songs of praise, they shall extol thy perfect righteousness. So it's these last uh, two words, the last line. We're here to do, to extol his perfect righteousness, which is for me and for you. Let us sing these verses to God's praise. Psalm 145, the first version, 1 to 8. Oh my God. 
Thank you, Lord God, that we are this evening the evidence of what we've just been singing. In mercy, you are very great and you are very slow to anger. It is of your mercy that you've given to us individually and collectively another opportunity to hear your word, call on your name, and sing your praise. We confess that uh, it's not something we can do in our own strength. We need your help to worship you. Lord, that each of us would come to say this evening, we see no man save Jesus only. That we would be looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the horror, endured the cross. Lord, what a, an event that was. And what an event that should be for us. Despising the shame and is now set down our Prince and our Saviour. Where? He has great gifts for us. The gift of repentance and remission of sins. Ascended to give repentance and remission of sin. Lord, grant that we would know repentance. A turning away 
from ourselves, a disappointment with our own performance, with our own behavior, with our own thinking. A God-given sorrow for lost opportunities and wasted time. Thank you that there is mercy with you. We delight in mercy. And you delight in it also. May we, as it were, know what it is to meet with you and, as it were, to shake hands with you as tonight we embrace Christ crucified, risen and exalted, that whatever our state and our condition when we came into the building, we would leave saying, He is altogether lovely. He is all I need. He is all my salvation. He's done it all for me. Lord, that you would teach us to be thankful. For you tell us, in everything give thanks. How different we would be when we so often feel like and do complain. Give us a thankful heart. We pray for those on our minds and our families those who would be here if they could, those who would like to be here but are unable to do so or do not wish to attend the means of grace. Will you not come in a day of your power to do something we cannot do? Awaken the dead and revive the living. Lord, grant that we would pray too for our community, our country, our congregation here, the congregations of your people, the preachers of the gospel across Scotland. We remember the war-torn parts of the world, particularly the war in Ukraine. Lord, it's too much for us. We just don't know, but we're glad that you do, that not a bullet is fired, not a bullet explodes without your intimate knowledge of that. We were thinking this morning about an arrow landing and killing King Ahab. That was in your purpose. And that is great for us to understand so that we can come to pray as you taught us to. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Continue with us then as we come to look at a a bit of your word and a verse or two in it.
that we would say, I'll hear what God the Lord will speak. To his folk he'll speak peace. Prepare us for eternity and for your will and pardon us for Jesus' sake. Amen. We'll again turn to sing in Psalm 85, verses 6 to 13. And I trust you will again be observant for the word righteousness, which is in verse 11. Psalm 85, verse 6 to 13, to God's praise. That in to read with you Romans chapter 10. Here is the word of God 
for us this evening. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, Faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long. I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. May God bless to each of us that reading of his word. And this evening we would like to consider the fourth verse there. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness 
to everyone who believes. Do you have to be perfect to get to heaven? Well, not really. Isn't that what you're saying? Not really. There's no one perfect. Not even Malcolm McLean is perfect. There's no one perfect. But you know, you do have to be perfect to enter heaven. And herein is our problem. You are not perfect, nor am I, and yet you have to be before you can enter heaven, and this is our problem. Can we look with you this evening, firstly, at our need, secondly, at Christ's life and death for us, and thirdly, the comfort that is promised and offered. Every sin deserves God's wrath and curse. We will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We are alienated from God and rebels. That's why we need the righteousness of God. The only thing that can meet God's wrath is God's righteousness. I'm at a certain age where many of my friends are passing from time to eternity. In recent months, two people who you may know who I knew well, who stayed in our home, died. A few weeks before he died, in the hospital at Boner Bridge, I had two wonderful visits with the late Reverend Alexander Murray. This is something he said to me. William, it doesn't matter what I have done or what I have not done. It doesn't matter what I have achieved or have not achieved. All that matters is what Jesus has done. That was a good pillow, wasn't it? That was a nice place to be. Then at about the same time, somebody who has spoken in Inverness and who some of you may know, George Verwer from Operation Mobilization phoned me. Now George is the founder of one of the largest missions in the world with two ships going round the world with books and 
They have a thousand missionaries in India. A remarkable guy. And on the phone, I didn't realize he, he was unwell. He said, William, I know so much in my head, but I want to know more in my heart. I believe, I do believe that all is well, but there's something in me that wishes to die. But I'm happy to stay here for whatever God has for me. These two men, and interestingly enough, another half dozen since these two men have gone, were living in the light of Philippians 1 verse 21. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Have you got that? For me to live is Christ. I'm here for him, with him, and he's with me. But to die is gain. This is how John Calvin put it. Paul declares that it is indifferent to him and is all one whether he lives or dies. Because having Christ, he reckons both to be gain. And assuredly, it is Christ alone that makes us happy, both in death and in life. Otherwise, if death is miserable, life is no degree happier. So that is, it is difficult to determine whether it is more advantageous to live or die out of Christ. On the other hand, let Christ be with us and he will bless our life and he will bless our death so that both will be happy and desirable for us. There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, where Paul says, Christ is our peace. He is our peace. He is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace. In the proportion you see his beauty and his glory, the more peace you will experience. Have you got peace? You want more peace? Look to Jesus. Here's the hymn writer. O soul, you are weary and troubled. No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things on earth will go strangely dim in the light 
of his glory and grace. Consider him. Think about him. That is my need and your need this evening. Secondly, Christ's death and life for us. On the 1st of January, 1937, a wee while before I was born, believe it or not, Gresham Machen, who was the founder of Westminster Theological Seminary, died. And Gresham Machen sent a telegram to his good friend, the late Professor John Murray, who some of you may have heard of, and certainly your pastor knows quite a bit about him. He sent a telegram to John Murray. And this was the last written words of Machen, this telegram. And here it is. I am so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. Christ Jesus died the atoning death on the cross to pay the full penalty for our sins. Right, ladies and gentlemen and friends. You can now go to sleep. You can now switch off. That's this evening's message. But there's more in it. The atoning death on the cross paid the full penalty for our sins. But there is more. His 33 years, his life in this world, his life on earth, his act of obedience, perfectly fulfilling all the demands of God's law. This righteousness, one that has fulfilled the entire law of God is what is credited to the account of believers. So I can go to my sister here or my brother here who's looking unto Jesus and say, friend, you're perfect. And he or she knows, oh no, if you knew me, you would say he's not perfect. You're not perfect in yourself, agreed. But in Christ you are. His unspotted righteousness. You see, we as sinners not only need the removal of the negative, the sins of our life, but we need the provision of the positive, full and complete righteousness of Jesus Christ. Imparted to us by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The cross of Christ is simultaneously the 
ultimate sacrifice of Christ and the most amazing act of obedience. The cross of Christ is simultaneously the ultimate suffering that Christ endured and at the same time the greatest act of obedience he ever performed. As a boy, he used to go to church too, like this wee fellow over here. I used to go to church like you sometimes when I was a wee boy. And I couldn't understand why in the wide world Jesus didn't come down on the Friday and go back up on the Sunday. Why did he have to hang around down here for 33 years? We need, friend, the point I'm trying to make. You need, as I do, the active obedience, the righteousness of his life. And it's a gift. Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross I can cling. I can't bring anything. I have nothing to bring anyway. I'm empty. And here it is. He finished it. He's done it all. Bavink, the theologian, put it this way. Jesus' whole work from conception to death was substitutionary. Jesus' whole work from beginning to end was substitutionary. It's as if, hear him, if I might take the liberty of saying in, in words that are fairly simple, this is what, in effect, Jesus is saying to you. Friend, not only did I die for you, I lived for you. John Newton put it this way, his humiliation expiates our pride. His perfect love atones for our ingratitude. His exquisite tenderness pleads for our insensibility. And this is important for us, important for our assurance of faith. You're, you're trembling, you're not sure, you haven't got confidence. Well, let's look at that for a minute. And I have to acknowledge the source for this thinking. It's Andrew Boner in a book called The Person of Christ. And he deals with this relentlessly and so helpfully. You recognize the sin of your childhood and youth, the vanity to which you were given over. But in the God-man, our substitute, you're delivered from all this guilt. You get all the positive merit of Christ's childhood. You get the merit of Christ's childhood. I must be about my father's business, he said. 
You recognize the sin of your evil words. Every evil word the Bible tells us has to be answered for. Isaiah 58 talks about talking idly. And my, are we not guilty of talking idly? Some of you will know Norman McKeever. I presume he's preached here occasionally. Uh, a lovely guy. He was uh, he's a retired minister. He was in Harris, I think. And I was speaking to him about this, and he had a funny story. It's quite a good story. It's about a man who I find interesting and attractive, a little bit of an eccentric, perhaps my wife would say a bit like yourself, but anyway, he's a bit of an eccentric. His name was Angus of the Hills. And Angus of the Hills was at a, at a lunch with the ministers and elders, and it came to the dessert. Time for the dessert. And the dessert was being put out. Where's Angus? He wasn't at the table. He wasn't there for his pudding. Where are you, Angus? Where's Angus? Oh, Angus is under the table. Angus, what are you doing under the table? I'm looking for the Sabbath. What? I'm looking for the Sabbath. The conversation at the tables just left the Sabbath long way behind. They're not talking about the things of the Lord or the gospel. I'm looking for the Sabbath, our conversation. But then there's our substitute. Grace was poured into his lips. No one ever heard Jesus say anything but holy words. So we have the merit of his childhood, the merit of his conversation, then we have the sin of our careless worship. Wandering thoughts, this sermon's gone on too long. I'm thinking it's nearly time for the benediction. We'll perhaps have a psalm before it. I'm thinking about my holidays. And that's what we're like so often in church. Hands up if you've never had a wandering thought. You're not going to get hands up in a, in, in a Highland church anyway. But you've all had a wandering thought and you've probably had two or three tonight already. But, but, he worshipped for us. He spoke of the zeal for his father's house, his father's house. All his careful attention to the word of God, to prayer, to worship. All put to your account, he worshipped for you. What about our prayerlessness? Well, it's a nice television program I would like to watch. I'd like to spend a little more time on my mobile phone. A little more time in bed. What about our prayerlessness? It's John Piper who said recently, your Facebook, your social media activity at the day of judgment will testify against you in relation to your prayerlessness. Jesus, 
He rose a great while before day. Mark chapter 1. He continued all night in prayer. Luke chapter 6. And this, this, he does for you. He imputes to you his perfect righteousness. He plunges your sins of omission into the depths of his ocean of forgetfulness. I was reading today about um, James Asher, the Bishop of all Ireland. He had been a minister for 60 years. He was exceedingly diligent, hard-working fellow. His last words on the 21st of March, 1686. Lord, please forgive my sins of omission. Things I didn't do that I should have done. Well, Christ compensates for it all. Christ's righteousness covers even your sins of omission. What about your selfishness? He did not please himself. He made himself of no reputation. He washed feet. He dried them. Took a towel and dried them. He fully gave the very form of obedience that you and I have neglected. I always do, he said, what pleases the Father now. Do you always do and think what pleases the Father? He did, and he did that for you. Think about unthankfulness. Think about concern for souls. Oh, what fullness there is in Christ Jesus. How glorious he is so that you can know the peace of God which passeth all understanding will keep your heart and mind through Jesus Christ. There's a story. I was with one or two folks at lunchtime today and I was uh, telling stories. I think it must be something about my age. But anyway, I was telling a story and here's another one. It's about a free Presbyterian lady. She was an African lady in the mission in Bulawayo, in what was southern Rhodesia. And uh, her brother died. He was living down in Durban on the, on the coast, which was a, I don't know, two or three hour, two or three day journey. And she'd never been on a train. But away she went to, to identify the body in Durban. So she went down there on her own to this big city in South Africa. 
And she got there and she did the needful. She identified the body. And then she came back home to Rhodesia. And her friend said to her, how did you get on down in Durban? What did you think of it? Expecting her to say, well, the skyscrapers and the traffic and the people and the shops. And she said, no, 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 none, none of these things. What, was, what amazed you when you got to Durban? Well, she said, I went down to the shore. I'd never been on a seashore before. Oh, what was remarkable about the seashore? Well, I kept watching the sea. One wave. And another wave. And another wave coming towards me, reminding me of the glorious grace of God and Christ. An endless flow of waves coming towards her. And that's the way it is in the gospel. An endless flow of grace coming to wash you, to create within you a clean heart. Isn't that what the Shorter Catechism tells us? Justification is an act of God's grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins, accepteth us as righteous in his sight, not only, not only for the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us and received by faith alone. An act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins, accepteth us as righteous in his sight, only for the righteousness of Christ, imputed to us and received by faith alone. So we thought a little about our need and then a little about Christ's life and death for us. And to finish, one or two things, maybe one or two things more than one or two, but about the comfort promised and offered. If you understand something of what we've been saying, and I trust you will and know it, you're able to sing in a different way the song most Highlanders will have at their funeral. Yea, though I walk in death's dark veil, I will fear no ill, for you are with me, and your rod and staff me comfort still. Samuel Rutherford said, Christ is holding forth his arms to embrace me. Now, that is amazing. He knows exactly what you're like. And he's holding forth his arms to embrace you. His right hand and his holy arm have victory hath won. The hands that were wounded to save us can never be doubted for their love. 
What kind of love is this? I am praying for them. I consecrate myself for them, to them, so that they may be sanctified. The hand that created the world and the universe can never be doubted for its power. Never leave you, nor forsake you. They shall never perish. No man shall pluck them out of my hand. No one can pluck them out of my Father's hand. That is the only comfort in life and in death. All other comforters are useless. They're short-term fixes. Brown of Haddington, who was a, a Scottish pastor and wrote a number of books and was a very good um, pastoral visitor, he was very particularly interested in people who were dying in spending time with them. And he went to see this lady who was dying. Mary was her name. And this is the conversation. Mary, I can see you're tired and weary and the Lord is waiting to take you into his arms. Isn't it wonderful? Mary, you're tired and weary. You're in your bed. Isn't it wonderful that the Lord is waiting to take you into his arms? Fine. Then he said, Tell me, Mary, what you would say if at the last you lost your hold of Jesus and he lost his hold of you and you perished. What a thing to say to a lady who was dying. What would happen if he lost his hold of you and you lost your hold of him? Now the lady was just very, very near the end of her life. And she had not responded to anything he said. Until she heard him say that. She raised her head and looked at him and said, Ah, minister, that would never be, and fine you can. That could never happen, and fine you know. Brown said, How can you say that? And she said, he would lose more than I would. He would lose more than I would. I would lose my eternal soul. And he would lose his honor. And Brown of Haddington said, Mary. You're ready for glory. 
That could never be. And fine you can. That's what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 7. Who shall separate me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be unto God through Jesus Christ. What can separate you from God? Nothing. Nothing. All this then is therefore offered to each one of us this evening. Have you received the gift of faith? The more they pilgrimage to the city which hath foundations, the more they are being convinced of their helplessness and their utter vileness. The more they pilgrimage to the city which hath foundation, the more they are being convinced of their utter hopelessness and helplessness and utter vileness. Are you convinced that you need Jesus? If you're saying yes to that, Martin Luther would would say, you have faith. Yeah, it's weak. It's not what you wish it to be, but it's not the measurement of your faith that's important. It's where your faith is placed. I have all my confidence. Thy mercy set upon. My heart within me shall rejoice in thy salvation. That comfort is freely offered to you this evening. And I'm sorry for you if you go out the door without it. And you are mad if you don't accept it. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest on him alone for salvation, as he is freely offered to us in the gospel. We've considered something of our need, something of Christ's life and death for us, and something of the promise of the comfort offered without money and without price. May the Lord bless his word to each of us. Let us pray. Lord, as we come to the end of this uh, evening service, we ask that these things would have a lodging place in our mind, And that we would find ourselves saying, thank you. Thank you that you would offer so freely to us. So much. Grant that each of us would understand that Jesus is holding out his arms to us. 
all day long. I stretch forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Grant to each of us and all of us together the prayer of David. Create within me a clean heart. Lord, we are thankful for the perfect righteousness we've been singing of, for the perfect righteousness we've been thinking of, for the passive and active obedience of our Lord and Saviour. Bless this congregation, its pastor and leadership, and each and everybody in the congregation. For your name's glory, for Jesus' sake. Amen. And we'll conclude at this time by singing in Psalm 71. And we're going to sing from verse uh, 14 to the bottom of the, well, 14 to 19. And uh, you'll see there's two references, I think, yes, two references to righteousness in verse 16. And thine own righteousness alone I will record. In verse 19, and thy most perfect righteousness O Lord, is very high. May the Lord help us to sing these words with understanding and with joy and as our profession of faith and to praise his glorious name. Psalm 71, verse 14 to 19. But I, with expectation, will hope continually. But I with expectation will hope continually and yet with praises more I will thee
thankful for your word and for the promise and for the peace that is offered to us. Give each of us to wish that for each other and to enjoy that and to enjoy you and to glorify you and enable us to do so in your strength and for your glory, for Jesus' sake. Amen.